You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This podcast contains disturbing content. Please take care while listening. Michelle Sutton and Kristen Chase died within weeks of each other in the summer of 1990 in wilderness therapy programs in Utah. In response, Utah passed new safety regulations for wilderness therapy programs. And both Summit Quest and Challenger were refused licensing and had to cease operations in Utah. And then there were the criminal investigations. Steve Cartesano, the founder and director of Challenger, was charged with negligent homicide for the death of Kristen Chase, along with nine counts of child abuse. But the investigation into Michelle Sutton's death led nowhere. The case was closed, and neither Gail nor any of the counselors at Summit Quest were criminally charged. For Kathy and Bob Sutton, this was a difficult reality to face. As far as criminal charges, I just felt like they were criminally, you know, they should have been criminally charged with something, negligent, homicide, um, how about just manslaughter. We called every day to the sheriff's department trying to find out what was going on. And what they told us is that it's a small county and they can't afford a trial. Michelle's group had wandered across the border into Arizona, and that is where she died. Therefore, the criminal investigation fell under the jurisdiction of the Mojave County Sheriff's Office in Kingman, Arizona. She was from California and died in Arizona in a program that was operated out of Utah. So there was all these different areas that they just wouldn't do anything. The Suttons never got a satisfactory answer as to why Gail Palmer was never charged with the crime— But Kathy said over the years, she's had to let it go. I don't think it ever would have been criminally charged to any one person. So I kind of let go of that. Did you not hold uh, Gail responsible? I hold her responsible for selling the program, yes. I hold her responsible for her lies, yes. I feel the uh, program was a complete fraud. I hold her responsible for that. But that's where the civil lawsuit came in. Kathy and Bob Sutton filed a $5 million civil lawsuit against Gail Palmer and Summit Quest in late 1990. Thomas Burton attended the same church as Kathy and Bob and ended up representing them in the civil lawsuit. I knew this family and I knew this young woman. And to have her basically tortured to death and her family tormented with this, that's really serious. Thomas told me they had a strong case. There were ample examples of neglect on behalf of Summit Quest. And yet, things did not go as Thomas expected. I was stunned by the opposition to our coming into the case and what I thought was a reasonable request seeking some compensation for the loss of this child. And I was surprised that there was every possible type of objection to it. 
Would Kathy and Bob get justice for Michelle? And would Gail Palmer be held accountable? From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist. This is Season 7, Episode 7, Gail Palmer, Criminally Minded. I'm Hannah Smith. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash castplus. Follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Many things came to light during the civil lawsuit the Suttons brought against Gail. And one of those things is that Gail had been contacting their insurance company after Michelle died. We learned through our discovery that she was contacting Travelers Insurance, our insurance company. And this is after this child died that she still wanted the money. It was also discovered that Summit Quest fabricated itemized bills with services that they didn't provide and submitted those bills to insurance companies. Thomas Burton was able to get a copy of Summit Quest's original application for licensing from the state of Utah, and they were licensed as a health care facility at the time. It was a full-time, this is how it sold to us, a full-time residential inpatient wilderness therapy facility. They were just liars and had duped us and duped the insurance company even into believing that it was a full-time, residential, inpatient, wilderness therapy facility. I mean, those are words that I'll live with for the rest of my life. One of Thomas Burton's arguments in the civil case was that Summit Quest intentionally misled the Suttons and other parents about the safety precautions that Summit Quest had in place, or lack thereof. They claimed to have 24-7 access to medical professionals. While it is true that Summit Quest officially had doctors sign on to work with the program, those doctors were never informed that Summit Quest had kids out in the field, and they never had any contact with the kids. But even if those doctors had been made aware that Summit Quest had kids out in the desert, they still would have been impossible to reach in case of an emergency. The counselors were given CB radios, which have a max range of 20 miles, Michelle's group was 90 miles away from the closest town, St. George, when she died. 
and her body lay in the desert for almost 20 hours before any help was able to arrive. And yet, this is not something that Gail Palmer ever took responsibility for, even when she was asked about it on The Geraldo Show. Where were your doctors in the death of Michelle Sutton? Why did it take 18 hours for them to even get to her then cold body? They, we have a doctor on our staff. Was who, he with them in the field? No, but they never are. The doctor is not out there, but it isn't necessary. This is the thing that. What so if hard. a leg is broken? What if a child is dying of dehydration? You have the capacity to call in a helicopter and go get the child. If but the helicopter hurting. was called in, did not arrive for 20 hours. The, th- the point that has to be made why here. Why didn't the helicopter come It wouldn't sooner? have mattered, Geraldo. The thing, no. The thing is, the thing you've got to understand is that this child died the second she went down. There was CPR done on her for three and a Which half time? hours. Technically, a helicopter wasn't called until the morning after Michelle died, when a small plane spotted Amanda D. Rose's signal fires. But the point stands that there was not medical help accessible to the Summit Quest group. Thomas told me that even with all the evidence they had that Michelle died because of negligence on behalf of Summit Quest, Gill continued to blame Michelle for her own death, and her attorneys attempted to get the Suttons to drop the lawsuit. The demand was to dismiss this case before you got in over your head and before we make you look foolish for even attempting to challenge what we're telling you. And uh, they mounted every type of defense possible. That she had a death wish, that she was doing drugs, that it was her fault for not following directions. It angered me. And that's why we decided to go to the mat. The Suttons would not back down with the lawsuit, but it would be a hard battle to fight. Thomas Burton prepared for a trial. I wanted to know more about why Gail Palmer was never charged with a crime, but the lead detective who investigated Michelle's death, Dale Lent, passed away in 2019. I did speak with Ken Stetler from the Department of Health and Human Services, Utah, about the investigation. I'm curious if you have any insight as to why Gail Palmer was never criminally charged with anything um, after Michelle died. I I had fully expected there would be some charges come. Perhaps Arizona didn't feel like it was worth their trouble to do it, considering that we were taking administrative action. Right, because she died in Arizona. So it was the folks in Kingman that were in charge, and we were in touch with them a lot. But they just took their time. I mean, it was some months, I recall, before we got a definitive response. At any rate, by then, Yale had packed up and went into Nevada. Ken's best guess is that the county in Arizona where Michelle died knew that a trial would be costly, and they felt that the situation had been dealt with since Gail had her license taken away in Utah. But the fact was, Gail was still running Summit Quest. The program had been banned from operating in Utah by September of 1990. But that same month, Sandra Knoxon, Gail's sister, who was working with her at the time, told the Deseret News that, quote, Summit Quest is operating in other states and has students out in the field. But had Gail moved her operation? 
Less than a year after Michelle died, and four to five months after Summit Quest was ordered to cease and desist operations, Mark Wiley was sent to Summit Quest in Utah. It was January or February of 1991. He was 11 years old. Early childhood, I mean, I had great parents, you know, mom and dad worked, um, but they, you know, they divorced and then my dad was a real bad alcoholic. But my mom, single mom, tried her best, but she couldn't control me when I was a kid. That's why I ended up in the Summit Quest. Mark grew up partly in Las Vegas, partly in Sacramento. He started shoplifting as a young kid and by 11, he already had a criminal record. He was taken to Summit Quest by a youth transport service, blindfolded, driven out into the desert. By talking with Mark, it seems that by 1991, some things had changed at Summit Quest. While the weather was still cold, the kids were provided tents to sleep in at night. The staff now had working radios, and there was plenty of water for Mark during his time there. But other things were the same, like the food rations. They give me a weight amount of flour, Germade, uh, oatmeal, dried peas and rice. Did it seem like enough food for a week? <laughs> I looked at it, like, I, I thought it was a joke. A few weeks into the program, Mark hatched an escape plan. He had made friends with an older kid, who he only remembers as Joseph, and they decided one morning that when they were supposed to be out collecting firewood, they were going to run for it. That was a perfect time, though, because the counselors weren't paying attention and we could walk far away from camp to get wood, so... I remember we just started running. We were probably running for like a good 45 minutes to the mountains, just trying to get as far away as we could. Mark was 11 years old, running through the mountainous terrain of southwest Utah in the late winter, early spring, when it still gets very cold at night. He thinks that they were on the run for four days. We ran with nothing, just our clothes. We made sure we wore warm clothes, and that was it. So we started breaking in cabins to get food. We were eating peanut butter and smoking like half cigarettes that people were leaving behind, you know. Mark and Joseph hiked 30 miles through the desert until they arrived in St. George, Utah. All of a sudden we hear cars going by. And we ain't seen a car or anything in, in you know, almost two months. So uh, we made it to this road. It was a mining road. You could see mining trucks going down the road, just traveling down a gravel road. Mark and Joseph flagged down a guy in a truck who said he would give them a ride to the bus station. First, he just had to stop at the post office. So we pull up into the post office, and I knew something was about to happen, but I didn't care because I was so tired. And then all of a sudden, you could see these cars pull up, you know, around us, and the cops, these cops come up to the car, and they're like, we've been looking for you kids for a while, but they were worried about us because we were in the mountains, and they couldn't find us. And they're like, they couldn't believe that we made it this far. The boys told the sheriff that they were being abused at Summit Quest, and they asked to call their parents. Instead, they were driven back out into the desert and dropped off with the Summit Quest counselors. This was early 1991, long after Summit Quest had been banned from operating in Utah. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash castplus. You can follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. So thank you. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I have to say, shaving used to be something that I dreaded, but Athena Club's products definitely make the experience more fun and easy. Athena Club's razor has thousands of five-star reviews from customers and is designed with built-in skin guards to help prevent razor burn while being gentle on curves. The razor blade is surrounded by a water-activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid. And the best part is that the razor kit is only $10, and it comes with two blade heads, a magnetic hook for your shower, and your choice of handle color. The thing I love most about this product is that it works really well, it's well-designed, and it's gentle on my skin. But the fact that the handle colors are beautiful is just like cherry on top. I picked Match Point Yellow. It's a really nice summery color. And you can set up how often you want your blade refills shipped to you. Athena Club has the most amazing shave foam, and they did send me some of this, and I am really into it. It is, again, it's another level of just taking care of my skin, leaving it soft, hydrated, and smooth. Show your skin you care with the Athena Club Razor Kit. Head to athenaclub.com and use code OPP for 25% off your first order. Again, that's athenaclub.com and use code OPP for 25% off. Athena Club is also launched in Target stores nationwide. So make sure to check out the shaving aisle to buy their products in-store in real life. Mark and Joseph had escaped Summit Quest and found themselves at the sheriff's office in St. George, Utah, at which point they were driven right back out to Summit Quest. Mark said as punishment, he and Joseph were made to sit in a tent for days on end in only their underwear. And the first thing the counselor said was strip all your clothes down, down to your boxers and uh, your shoes and everything and get in the tent. You can sit in there 45 days for running. And I was like, I was refusing. I was like, I'm not taking my clothes off. And they said, okay, we'll just cut, tie you up to a tree and cut them off. So, and so I took my clothes off. Was this after the officers left? Yeah, of course. Yeah, after the officers left, as soon as they rolled down the dirt road, take your clothes off, strip down to your boxers, get in the tent. They could leave the tent to cook their food or use the bathroom, in which case they would be given shoes with no laces and a jacket, but no pants. This was to prevent them from running away again. In total, Mark spent 38 days in that tent. He said it was torturous. What did you do in the tent all day? Nothing. Sitting right, go crazy, talk to each other about how, how we're going to escape again. It was good punishment, actually. You didn't want to be sitting in the tent very long. It sucked. <laughs> it's not like you had a TV or anything. I mean, you're just sitting there staring at the, the, the nylon in the tent. It's like, God, I can picture it right now. Worse than juvenile hall. 
Shortly after Mark's escape and then return to Summit Quest, their camp was flooded by a rainstorm, and so they packed up and moved locations. We now know they moved their camp from Utah across the border to Nevada. Shortly after they moved into Nevada, there were more runaways. Three girls went missing from the Summit Quest campsite. So the counselors were all frantic on the radio calling, you know, for people to come look like they did for us, you know, I guess. But uh, those girls never came back to the campsite. One day we were out there doing our chores or our activities and all of a sudden these suburbans come rolling up at the campsite and these guys jump out with camcorders and uh, told the counselors that we're taking over now, step aside. The three girls that escaped from the camp ran into some ranchers in Nevada and told them they were being abused. And the ranchers informed law enforcement. The Summit Quest campsite was almost 150 miles north of Las Vegas. It was raided by Nevada state officials in March of 1991. All eight kids were taken into the custody of the Nevada State Welfare Department, and their parents were called to pick them up. In order for the children to be released into the custody of their parents, their parents had to agree that they would never re-enroll them in Summit Quest, and they had to agree to make the children available for a future hearing that would determine whether or not Summit Quest would be able to operate in Nevada. Ken Stetler and Kathy Sutton had both been making phone calls, informing Nevada officials of Gail's presence there. In July of 1991, there was a hearing to review Summit Quest's operation in Nevada. Kathy Sutton was asked to come to the hearing and testify. We were not going to stop until they, they shut it down. There was a court injunction actually served against Gail Palmer. Gail Palmer had to testify during that hearing, and on direct examination, she said she started Summit Quest to help kids get off the streets and to protect kids from drug-related killings. The judge noted during the hearing that, quote, children who are most often involved in drug-related killings and who get trapped into a life on the streets are those very same children who cannot afford $14,000 to take a protective and rehabilitative program. Summit Quest was denied a license to operate in Nevada. After I got out of Summit Quest, I uh, got arrested for some more crimes and stripped from my uh, family, period, and they put me in the ward of the state of California. Mark spent a few years in juvenile hall, and then after that, a group home. He now lives in Las Vegas with his daughter. Reflecting on his experience at Summit Quest, he says that he understands why his parents sent him there. They were desperate. But he doesn't think that Summit Quest worked. It did not give him tools to better his life or to set him on a path to success. Gail Palmer shut down Summit Quest for good in 1991. And yet, in 1994, there was a report in the St. George newspaper, The Spectrum, that stated a girl ran away from a wilderness therapy program and stumbled upon an archaeological dig site. The article states that the program was being run by Gail Palmer. But there is no other information after that on whether Gail was shut down or continued to operate in Utah without a license. Ken Stetler is referenced in the article, and I asked him about it. You know, I can't find any other articles about this. This is the only one. So the article seems to be saying that Gail was back in Utah in 1994 operating a wilderness therapy program illegally. Do you recall that at all? I do. 
I do. We were never able to prove it, but I'm, I know in my gut that it was her. Steve Cartesano was charged with negligent homicide and nine counts of child abuse. His trial started on September 16, 1991. And my understanding was that during the trial, it was not going very well for him. He was getting clobbered. But then on September 23rd, the judge declared a mistrial over a technicality. The judge had failed to formally read the charges against Steve Cartesano. There would be a new trial. Steve promptly fired his lawyers and called Charlie Brofman. He said, Charlie, they're going to try this case again. Uh, It's being transferred to Salt Lake City County. And I'd like you to, I'd like you to represent me. Charlie Brofman is a very good lawyer. And it was smart of Steve to hire him. Charlie found the leading expert in the country on exertional heat stroke and brought him on as an expert witness. That guy testified that Kristen Chase's symptoms did not line up with his understanding of exertional heat stroke. That basically negated the entire prosecution's argument. And Steve Cartesano was acquitted on all charges. The case really turned on did Kristen die from exertional heat stroke? If that's their theory, and I disprove the theory, you have to find the defendant not guilty. Have to. Kathy Sutton attended Steve Cartesano's trial. I could see him over my shoulder in the back of the courtroom, rolling up his sleeves and showing his temple garments, if I may say that. Just And just, he was very charismatic and very much liked by a lot of people that just looked up to him and thought he was just this wonderful person. And I just thought that was really kind of uncanny when I looked back and seen him roll up his sleeve to show his temple garments to say, I'm a Mormon and look at me, I'm this great guy. No, you're not. (laughs) I mean, they were of the same faith, the same affiliation, but that's not the way I was brought up and that's not the way my church teaches. Kathy told me that in her view, Steve Cartesano was a criminally-minded person and a liar, and she watched as he walked away a free man. As someone who was on her own journey seeking justice, this was a blow. It's generally acknowledged that if Steve's first trial had not ended in a mistrial, he would have been convicted. Charlie Brofman saved him from potential years in prison, and how did Steve Cartesano thank Charlie Brofman? The next thing I knew, my bill was up to like $110,000. And he disappeared on me. And I never heard from him again. He stiffed me. Steve went on to start programs all around the world, including in Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Samoa. It was the same pattern everywhere. He started a camp without obtaining a license. He charged parents between fifteen dollars and $20,000 a kid, and then eventually he got shut down by authorities. There are countless stories from kids involved in these camps, stories of being abused by camp personnel and of being denied medical treatment. Steve Cartesano used multiple names as well, including Steve Anthony, Scott Richards, and Steve Michaels, and he got caught writing bad checks on multiple occasions. He died on May 4th, 2019, at the age of 63. 
pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. In February of 1992, the Suttons agreed to settle their lawsuit against Summit Quest. Uh, it wrapped up basically just before the trial started when they paid an amount of money that we thought, after several prior proposals, was reasonable under the circumstances for the death of this child. And it was on the day before trial was to start. The Suttons decided to settle instead of going through the emotional turmoil of a trial. The amount agreed upon was $345,000. It would be taken from a $500,000 insurance policy that Summit Quest had. Kathy felt that this was some sense of justice for Michelle, but she didn't care about the money. With the, the lawsuit, I hated that money. I got the shakes every time I walked in the bank. We, we donated a lot. We did a lot of good with it, which was, was one of my goals was that when God said something good will come from this, it became my crusade and my desire to bring all the good I could from something horrible that happened to my child. So, okay, what good can I do today? You know, how, how can I help? We, of course, we scholarshiped a girl. Uh, Michelle didn't get to graduate, but another girl did in her honor. Um, just trying to make good come from it. Overall, what Kathy wanted, what she had been working for, was change. She wanted the industry to be safer. What I wanted was for the whole industry as a whole to become what they're telling parents they are, and weed out the ones who were neglectful and punitive. Some people will say that things improved after the summer of 1990, when Michelle Sutton and Kristen Chase died. And yet, in 1994, there was another death. It closely echoed the deaths of Michelle Sutton and Kristen Chase. It was April 1st, I received a call from one of my sons saying, Mom, there's been another death. And at first, you know, mine kind of plays tricks on you. I thought, well, that's cruel April Fool's joke. And then he said, no, Mom, it really, really happened. A boy died in a program there in Utah. So I looked into it and found out it was Aaron Bacon who died on March 31st. 16-year-old Aaron Bacon attended North Star, a program founded and operated by Lance Jagger. Lance previously worked with Steve Cartesano at Challenger. He went by the moniker Horsehair. He is the one who came up with that phrase, I love you till it hurts you. 
He had been previously charged with negligent homicide for the death of Kristen Chase because he was the field director at Challenger when Kristen died. But Lance agreed to testify against Steve Cartesano, and so the charges against him were dropped. And then he went on to start an offshoot wilderness therapy program called North Star. And in early 1994, Aaron Bacon died in that program. When I sat down to interview Bob and Sally Bacon, they had a question for me. They asked if some years ago I had done a story about a teenage girl who died at a wilderness program. I told them I had. Well, it turns out Aaron had seen the story. He wrote about it in his journal, wondering perhaps if the same thing could happen to him. It was the same terrible story. Aaron complained that he was unwell, and he wasn't believed until it was too late. He died from peritonitis and a perforated ulcer. I kind of went a little off the deep end when Aaron died, and I learned how the boy died, and it was 30 days, and he was emaciated, and just everything that I learned about it. I kind of went a little crazy, and I just cry and sob and crying for all three of the kids. The fact that new regulation had been passed and still a kid died in a very similar program to the one Michelle was in felt overwhelming to Kathy. She had spent the past three years focusing on little else than her crusade, trying to prevent this very thing from happening. I mean, I, I was crying. I was walking down the hallways of my home, just sobbing away. And I felt these very strong but gentle hands rested upon my shoulder. Nobody there. And it says, you can let go now. And I guess that was affirmation to me that I had help in what I was trying to do and that I didn't have to carry the full burden anymore. Because Bob and Sally Bacon were phenomenal. They took the ball and they ran with it. I laid the foundation, and they did a good job at it because one of the things they say in one of the interviews was tough love without the love is plain tough, and they were right because that's what happens to a lot of these kids. Is they call it tough love, but they don't love these kids, not the way the parents love these kids. We send them off to these places, and we think, oh, they're going to be taken good care of, and then when they're not, what do they do? They blame the child. They blamed the parents, were dysfunctional, the kid was troubled, or like with Michelle, she smuggled in cocaine, she wanted to die. They'll say anything to keep their program up and running. For what? The money. And I learned that it was ignorance and greed that I was up against in my crusade. And so I took that internal mommy anger and did my best, but the Bacons, they, they carried the load and I got to... You know, not sit back and relax, but I got to maybe turn around and start looking at my family and taking better care of my my own children. After years of feeling alone in her crusade, Kathy felt a sense of relief when Bob and Sally Bacon started to speak out about their son's death as well. Representing the Suttons was the first civil lawsuit that Thomas Burton brought against a wilderness therapy program— And it changed the whole trajectory of his career. At this point, he has represented over 25 families who have sued youth correctional programs with allegations of abuse and or wrongful death. And along the way, he's become an expert on these programs. 
How did the deaths of Michelle Sutton and Kristen Chase change how Utah regulates these programs? You know, what changed? The short answer to that is nothing. There's, uh, there's no oversight. There's no regulation. There are laws in place to protect children, but there is still minimal oversight or enforcement. Additionally, Utah has some of the strongest parental rights laws in the country. It's one of the reasons that, to this day, Utah has more teen rehabilitation programs than any other state. In many states, it's now illegal to hold adolescents in programs like this against their will, but not in Utah. In fact, business is booming. A study from the University of Utah in 2016 estimated that the troubled teen industry brought almost half a billion dollars of revenue into the state of Utah every year. Paris Hilton has spoken out against the troubled teen industry. Her 2020 documentary revealed her own abusive experiences in multiple programs in Utah. She worked with Utah legislators to get a new bill passed, SB 127. It states that youth treatment centers may not use a cruel, severe, or unnecessary practice on a child. That includes using physical pain or humiliation to frighten or intimidate children. To some, this was a great victory. But when I spoke with Thomas Burton, he wasn't so optimistic about it. I hate to be a skeptic, but it's all window dressing. None of Paris Hilton jumped all over them uh, with her uh, Provo Canyon school experience. The legislature passed a big new statute that just was window dressing to show that we're trying to do something. The state has a built-in conflict to begin with. Its constitution says that the parent has a right to raise a child, suggesting that if a family wants to put a child in a program, it's not anybody else's business. Thomas Burton told me that he believes these programs are unconstitutional and he'd like to see them shut down across the board. The main reason he thinks that is because these programs are often punishing and punitive, and kids are sent there against their will without any due process. So it would be as if a parent would decide, I think I'm going to send my kid to juvenile detention. I'm just going to choose to do that and send them there with no one else's, no no due process. But these programs have gotten away with it because they don't, advertise themselves as being punitive. Is that right? The criminal law says there has to be a trial before any person can be locked up by anyone, and especially by a program regulated by state government. There has to be due process. Not all parents are even aware that these programs are punitive because the programs don't always advertise them that way. But the crux of Thomas Burton's argument is that these programs violate the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. The Fifth Amendment guarantees the right to a jury trial. It is illegal to lock someone up who has not committed a crime or someone who has not had access to a trial. Currently, there are an estimated 120,000 to 200,000 kids sent into youth treatment centers every year. An estimated five to 6,000 of those are going into wilderness therapy programs. There is still no federal oversight or regulation for these programs. Since Michelle Sutton's death, 175 children have died in youth residential treatment programs. 33 of them were in wilderness therapy. 
These numbers come from a nonprofit called Breaking Code Silence. As far as I can find, they are one of two organizations keeping track of reported deaths in the troubled teen industry, the other being unsilence.org. There is no government database tracking these deaths. Gail Palmer went on to work for multiple other teenage rehabilitation programs, including Red Rock Canyon, which closed in 2019 after multiple allegations of abuse. She is currently living in Utah and did not reply to my interview request. Corrupt companies like Summit Quest and Challenger had a lot to gain by silencing the voices of those who were hurt by their programs. But it was much easier to silence people in the 1990s than it is today with social media. There has been a new trend on TikTok of people who have recently returned from teen rehab programs and are spreading the word about their experiences. You hike eight, usually, miles a day, three to eight miles a day, and you carry an about 50-pound backpack on you. We have reports of youth who need to eat rocks, who sit by themselves without the ability to speak or look at other students that they are there with. There are also Facebook groups reconnecting those who have suffered alone for many years. Tamira spent years in therapy dealing with the trauma of going to Challenger. And for most of that time, they were alone in their experience. And then one day, they reconnected with Philip through Facebook. Remember, Philip and Tamira were friends while at Challenger. I started looking for Challenger survivor groups, and then he was one of the admins on the Facebook group. And I was like, I recognize that name. So he ended up out here and we met in person. And it was just this like really beautiful experience. We were sitting on the next to this river, like leaning on each other. And I was like, this is a person I can trust. It makes me like tear up, right? Um, And knowing that he's out there and he understands this, it's like super supportive because people don't get it. They don't understand how bad it was. They don't understand like how, you know, like 30 years later, more than 30 years later, it still affects my life. Like he gets it. When I spoke with Amanda, she told me this was the first time she was telling her story publicly. And it was difficult, but it also felt important to her. Because the isolation that happened to her and to Tamira and Philip and so many people who went through these programs and then were sent home to friends and family who didn't understand, that isolation was horrible. I think for a lot of us that had survived those programs, we were manipulated in such a way, brainwashed in such a way, made, you know, terrified to where all of us don't know how to even speak our truth anymore. And when we finally do get an opportunity to tell people at least how you remember it and how you feel, and you don't have to have them arguing with you and telling you that you're wrong, it does feel good. It feels good to tell your story and have people hear it instead of deny it. Christina told me that she thinks of her sister Michelle every day. I just... I would love to have my sister. I've met people here and there that remind me of Michelle's personality. And I've wondered, you know, is that what she would be like? A few years ago, Christina was on a road trip driving through southern Utah. Suddenly, she looked around and recognized where she was. When we were planning our trip, I didn't realize that... um, We were going to the area that Michelle had died until I was there. And then it kind of dawned on me. And so I just kind of took a few quiet minutes to um, 
reflect. Christina looked out into the Mojave Desert, at the cacti and the sagebrush, at the wind-carved rock formations that looked like they'd been painted with multicolored brushes. She looked at the vast, deep blue, perfect sky. And she wondered if Michelle had hiked out there, somewhere in the distance. Had Michelle seen something similar to what Christina was seeing now? Driving through the canyons was absolutely gorgeous. I hope that she saw the beauty in that area before it became hostile to her body. Because it it does have a beauty of its own. Kathy Sutton sent me multiple packages while I worked on this season of The Opportunist. She sent me thousands of pages of documents that she's kept over the years. Four VHS tapes, photos of Michelle, and letters detailing her correspondences and her crusade. Kathy has been educating the public about the dangers of punitive troubled teen programs for over 30 years. And now she is trading in her filing cabinets for a few small binders, letting go of the things she doesn't need anymore. And as always, she keeps Michelle's memory alive. What do you think Michelle would be doing now? She wanted to be an interior decorator, so I always think maybe she's decorating my little house on high, you know. Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with Peisha Eaton, Natalie Gregory, and Sarah Dalglish. Colin Thompson is our executive producer. Anton Doty is our editor and music editor. The show is mixed and mastered by Matt Sewell. The Opportunist show cover art is by Joel Hassemeyer. Our theme song is Waltz for Zechariah from the album Show Late. Do you have a suggestion for the show and opportunist that you want to hear us cover? You can email us at theopportunist at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash cast plus. Follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.